We're moving into this holiday season with the thought and the question, what would it look like if we as a church, if we as individuals, if uh, corporately and, and in your own home, community, neighborhood, workplace, what would it look like if we built the reputation of Christ? What, what would it look like if we, as his followers, became known for the very thing that Jesus himself was known for. Not, not what we think about Jesus, because we all have our own ideas, son of God, savior of the world, prophet, teacher, healer. What about the people that knew Jesus best? What about the people that, that, that were closest to him? Peter, for example, one of his disciples, probably knew Jesus better than anyone else. He spent three years with him, walked with him, talked with him, traveled with him, ate with him, heard him teach, watched him perform miracles. Well, here's how Peter... Remember Jesus. In Acts 10, 38, this is where we get the title of the series, Peter said how Jesus went around doing good. That Jesus went around doing good. That was his reputation. Sadly, that's one of the last reputations we have in the world today. One of the last things that people outside of the church sees in the church, one of the last things that we as Christians are known for it's people who go around doing good. And I believe one of the biggest reasons why we've lost a lot of the voice that we once had in this nation. There was a time where Christianity had a, had a very loud voice in this country, and we had the ability to influence and make a difference. And it was very, very positive, not negative. And the reason was because we were known as people who gave our lives doing good. Now we're known for a lot of things. We have a lot of different reputations. But one of the last things that we're known for was the very thing Christ was known for. And I want to know, what would it look like if we built that reputation again? What would it look like if our church became known in North County as a church that was always doing good, serving, loving, caring for people? What would it look like if you in your workplace or in your community, your neighborhood, what would it look like if you individually had the reputation of Christ. We're going to give you a chance to see this firsthand in a couple weeks. Every January, we as a church take kind of a field trip on a Thursday, the first Thursday of January, and we go up to the Dream Center in Los Angeles, one of the organizations that we partner heavily with, and we're part of the whole, they have a, they have a big service on Thursday night for all of Los Angeles, and tour the facility, and meet the people, and hear the stories, and if, if, you, if at all possible, take a half day off of work and join us, because it is it's remarkable to see what God has done through a group of people who all they did was simply build the reputation of Jesus. And I was fortunate to be a part of what God did there. I was on staff there for 16 years, was one of the founders of the organization. And when I was on staff there, the mayor of Los Angeles wrote a letter, and this is just to illustrate the power of doing good. The mayor of Los Angeles wrote a letter and he said, the homicide rate in the Rampart area of Los Angeles, which is where the Dream Center is located, heavy drug, heavy gang, heavy crime area, he said the homicide rate in the Rampart area has decreased by 73% as a result of the work of the Dream Center in the community. Now, to me, that's making a difference. Now, let me explain that to you because I was there. 
we didn't physically take guns out of gang members' hands. That's not how we did it. We didn't go out and break up, you know, street fights. What happened is we gave our life to do good. We went out and we picked up trash and we cleaned homes and we cleaned the streets and we brought out food and we fed these gang members' little children and we fed their families and their moms and, and, and just served and loved. And through serving and loving, it began to transform the community where many of these gang members would give their lives to Jesus Christ and leave a life of crime and incredible miracles took place, but it all happened not because we were out preaching in the community. It happened because we were out serving, building the reputation of doing good. And I believe that is possible here. We are already seeing it to a degree in our church, and I believe it's going to grow over the years that the difference we're going to make is going to become bigger and bigger and bigger. But it's going to take all of us adopting this philosophy of what would it look like if I lived the life that Jesus lived? What would it look like? And, and not just kind of randomly doing good or, or just however it happens, but, but very intentionally doing good because there's a reason why we do it. We do it strategically. The reason we do good is strategically. We see that very clear in Scripture. God has called us to do good so that we can advance His mission here on earth. Let me show you that in a couple places in Scripture. Peter puts it like this, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, the pagans is a strong word for simply anybody who is not a Christian. That's all the word pagan means, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may See your good deeds, not hear your good words. It's not about standing on the corner with a microphone and yelling at everyone that they're going to hell. It's not about, it's about seeing your good deeds. And here's what will happen. There, there's always a so that. There's always a so that. They'll see your good deeds, and what's going to happen is they'll glorify God on the day that he visits us. In other words, they're going to come into relationship with God. They're going to become Christians, Christ followers. Their life is going to be changed, not because of the message you preach, but because of the life that you lived, because of the good deeds. Now, they need to know about the good deeds, so we do need to, we need to clue them in on the why, because they do need Jesus, but it's not our words that's going to change their life. It's our actions. That's why St. Francis of Assisi said, we'll preach the gospel to the entire world, and we will use words if we have to. Let me show you another place in Scripture. Jesus says, you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Not me, the pastor, you. Every one of us collectively individually are the light of the world, a city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see. I think all of us would agree that the world is dark right now. Every time you turn on the news, it's, it's, it's getting darker. There's darkness that is spreading. What is God's answer to the darkness in the world? You. You are God's plan A. God doesn't have a plan B. Like You're it. Like You are the light of this world, a city on a hill. And here's the powerful thing about light. Light will always beat darkness in a fight. Always. You take the smallest light and it will always penetrate the deepest, blackest darkness. Light always wins. So you may be looking at your light thinking, well, I'm not that mature with my light and I'm not that educated with my light and I haven't had a light all that long and I'm kind of new with this whole light thing and I haven't been doing this very long. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The smallest light, the most, the, the most new light, the light that doesn't have all the education and all the maturity, that light will still penetrate the darkest darkness. 
Light will always win in a fight with darkness. Jesus goes on to say, don't hide your light then. Don't hide your light. It may not be as big as you want it to be. It may not be as bright as you think other people's light is. Don't hide your light. Your light will always make a difference. Let it shine for all to see so that your good deeds will be seen. I love that. He says, let your light shine, not that they can hear your good words. Let your light shine so that they can see your good deeds doing good. And again, just to let you know, there's another so that. There's so that's all throughout the scripture, by the way. And these so that's are very important for us to notice. So that they will praise your heavenly father. Again, so that they're going to come to know God. We let our light shine by showing people our good deeds so that they get into relationship with God. They give their life to Jesus Christ. If you don't make your life private, people are going to get saved. We were called to live our life out loud. This is a core value of our church. It's one of our missions. This will actually, if you're new to our church, this will help you decide whether or not this is a good church fit for you. Because one of the things you need to understand about us as a church family is we, we believe that the church does not exist for us. Like That is a core belief of our church, that, that the church does not exist for us that are here today. Here's what we believe. We believe we are the church and we exist for the world. We believe we're here for one reason, to be mobilized to make a difference in the world that we live in. This is why the Christian organization was the only organization in the world that was not created for the member, but was actually created with the non-member in mind. So if you want to love God, you got to love the people God loves. Like You can't just show up on Sunday and love on God and sing some songs to God and then just go on your merry way and, and, and keep your faith a private thing. It doesn't work that way. You want to love on God. He likes your singing. Like, like, he enjoys that. Like, that makes him feel good, but it's not enough. Like, he wants you to love the people that he loves, and he is very in love with the world and those that don't know him yet. He's, he's so in love with them that he allowed his own son to die on their behalf so that they could be restored to him one day. That's how much he loves them, and he's looking for people to love them as much as he loves them. Let me give you one more. This was a prophetic verse that was prophesied years before Jesus came. It was prophesied about Jesus. Isaiah says, arise, shine. This is our calling. This is a command to us, for your light has come, meaning Jesus has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. This is upon you. God's light is upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. The world is dark. We get it, but God has a solution, and the solution is you. But the Lord rises upon you. Yes, it's dark out there, but the Lord rises upon you. Let your light shine, and his glory appears over you. And again, here's the so that. Here's the result of what will take place. Nations will come to your light. Nations, people are going to give their life to Jesus. They're going to come to the light that is inside of you when you let that light shine. So let me give you a, a radical thought for some of you, because here's, here's what I've experienced in the church. Here, here's what I know about a lot of people who attend church throughout America especially, and, and even people who are sitting here today, that, that most people who attend church, they, they honestly believe there are two groups of Christians. 
and, and this is, this is going to be a revelation for some of you. Most people, they honestly believe there's two groups of Christian. There is a group that attends church, and then there is a group of Christians who are the professional, like, like me, who it's, it's my job. So you have an attender and you have a professional. You have a congregant, again, somebody that attends, and you have what we call the minister, the, the person who stands on the stage and ministers to the people, the, the minister and the congregant. And they even come up with terms that aren't even in the Bible. Like a term that I can't stand that they call me is clergy. They call me the clergy. He's the clergy. I can't stand that term, the clergy. The, cl- the word clergy actually comes from a word that is cleric or clerk, and all the word means is somebody that knows how to read. That, that's all the word means. <laughs> because hundreds of years ago in the church, if you knew how to read, they made you the pastor because you were the only one that could read the Bible to everybody. Because everybody was illiterate, and they, they just didn't know how to read. So they, they made the clergy, the cleric, the clerk, the one that could read the pastor of the church. And you know what? Not much has changed. Now, now the, the only difference is, I'm being honest, the only difference is now we have people who actually have the ability to read, who just choose not to read. They just show up once a week and they want me to read it for them. They just, they're just happy to be an illiterate Christian. Just, just, just give me a good message. Let me check it off the box once a week. You know, they even come up with a term for you. They call you layman. That's, that's what they call you. I think it's because they just think you lay around all the time, just layman. Layman and clergy, like not even biblical at all. Here's what I want you to understand. There is nothing special on my life that is not on your life. Like I don't have some red phone in the back to God. Like, like you have the same connection to God that I have. I am no more special to God. God doesn't answer my prayers anymore. He doesn't listen to me anymore then he listens to you. It's so funny how people look at me because there's some people who honestly think that I got this, you know, like I got this pull, I got this inside pull with God that they don't have. A couple years ago, I was out playing golf with some people and, and I am a terrible golfer. I love golf. I'm just terrible at it. I just, I, you know, having young kids, it's hard to get out there and, and play enough to be any good at golf. So I was playing golf one day and a group of guys and, and they found out I was a pastor. And you know, when they find out you're a pastor, they all start treating you differently. And so half the time you lie when you're out there because it's like you don't want them to know because you know they're going to treat you different. But they found out I was a pastor. And so we're playing golf and all of a sudden a rain cloud pulls up and they all look at me like I'm supposed to do something about it. Like, you, you know the guy, why don't you, you know, take care of it? And I, I remembered something my pastor said, so I looked at the guys and said, look, I'm in sales, not management. I can't help you. <laughs> well, that's a different department. <laughs> See, the truth you've got to get a hold of today is you are called to be a minister. You're no different than me. But for that to take place, we've got to build the right reputation, and the right reputation will lead us into the right type of people. And here's the key truth. I'm not the only minister of Coastline Church. We're all ministers of Coastline Church. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to build a statement together, and this statement is going to become a personal declaration over your life and over my life, over every single one of us. So in your notes, here's the first part of the statement. I am a minister. I am. And this is 
all of us saying this individually, I am a minister. You are just as much a reverend as me. I am no more a reverend than you. Peter puts it like this. He says, you are a chosen people, not me, the pastor. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not in the ministry. That's just because you don't understand what ministry is. The word ministry actually comes from a nursing term that means to render aid. That's, that's all the word ministry means is to render aid. All of us are called to render aid to people who are hurting. That's all it is. Peter goes on to say, that you, again, there's, there's these so that's all throughout scripture, that you, so you are a royal priesthood, you are a chosen people, so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, and other people are going to embrace the same message. So the goal of today is to get you to a place where, where you begin to acknowledge and admit that I am in the ministry. That may be what I do at work, but I am in the ministry. God put me here for a reason. And this brings me to a big key in understanding ministry, that we're not here to minister randomly or just in, in a broad sense. No, here's the second part of the statement with a specific purpose. I'm not only to minister, I'm to minister with a specific, a focused purpose. There is something that I am called to do, you are called to do, that is unique and different than everyone else around you. First Peter, again, puts it like this, each of you should use whatever gift. Each of you have been given a different gift, a, a unique gift set that is unique to you, and you are to use that gift that you have received to serve others. That's the word from last week, uh, diakonos, to serve, to wait on others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all of its various forms. Now, here's one of the tragedies about the church today. Statistics tell us that 87%, think about that, 87% of Christians today do not know their specific purpose. They, they know they're supposed to love God, and they know they're supposed to be a light. They, they know they're supposed to do something, but they don't know what that specific something is. Can you imagine if 87% of my body didn't know what its job was? Like, I'd be dead. <laughs> like, 87% like of my organs and systems did not know what their function was. I would be dead. How many of you remember Elvis Presley? The king of rock and roll. I mean, if anybody found like the epitome of purpose in life, it was Elvis. He was a movie star. He was famous. He was a singer. I mean, even to this day, there, there are more Elvis impersonators than, than they, they say the, the, I read this the other day, that, that with the amount of Elvis impersonators, that if it continues to grow at the same rate it's been growing since Elvis's death, by the year two, 2030, one out of three people will be an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> I mean, that's how quickly it's growing right now. I mean, Elvis, the king. Well, after Elvis died, they interviewed his wife, Priscilla, in a Reader's Digest article. And I want you to hear what his wife had to say about him after spending you know, time one-on-one -on -one hearing his heart. Here's what she had to say about Elvis. Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. Think about that. 
most famous, successful, rich, never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage so he wouldn't have to think about it. They've interviewed his bodyguards about how Elvis would have nightmares every night, wake up screaming in terror, have to take drugs to be able to sleep. My pastor, Tommy Barnett, who's 80 years old, he preached to Elvis when Elvis was 19 in Tennessee. Elvis sat in the back of the building, gripping the pew. At the end of the message, Elvis said, I know that God's called me to ministry, but I just signed a contract in Hollywood for five movies. He said, what if I give it all up to follow God and God doesn't fulfill me? He wasn't living his life purpose, the specific purpose. And I wonder how many of us constantly go on our life stage Whatever that may be, your career, your job. And you have this agonizing, I know I'm here for something else. I know this isn't all I was created for. There's got to be more in life than this. There is. You are a minister. Ephesians puts it like this. We are God's workmanship. God created you, created in Christ Jesus to do Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There was something for you to do before there was a you. And that's a powerful thought that God made you to accomplish a purpose. It's why one of the things we believe around here is your design determines your destiny. Do you want to know the specific purpose for your life? Look at the way God hardwired you. Because the God that created you to accomplish the purpose is the God that gave you everything you needed to be able to do it, to accomplish that purpose. So one of the things I like to say is you're not one in a million, you're one of a kind. God made you and threw away the mold. He, he, he made you exactly the way he wanted you to accomplish your specific purpose in life. And after you find that purpose, next you need to realize that you're here for an opportune time. Let me just put it like this, 2017, not an accident in your life. You could be living in the 1800s, the 1600s, the 1200s, not an accident you're alive in 2017. You were blessed with this time. I don't know about you, but I don't want to show up in heaven one day and have God look at me and say, what else did you want? Like, I put you in America. Not everyone got to live there, by the way. Like, not only that, I gave you North County. Like, what else were you looking for? I gave you an opportune time to make a difference with your life. Amen. See, the problem is some of us are interpreting the news the wrong way. Every time you turn on the news and you see the chaos and you see the riots and you see the protests and you see the disasters, it's got you running scared. Well, to be honest, I thank God for it. Like, I thank God that I get to be alive right in the middle of all of the chaos with the only answer that works. Think about that. Like, as messed up as the world gets, we've got the only thing that works. Like, like I get to be alive in such a messed up season of time with the only thing that works. So as one of my pastor friends in the South likes to say, don't thumb suck about hell, go whip some hell. 
I mean, we got the ability to make a difference. Here's the way Paul puts that. Be very careful <laughs> then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. You got this opportunity in time. It's not an accident. You are geographically placed here that, that, that you, you got this time because the days are evil. Here, here's what, what Paul says about King David. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And I love this. He says he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Did you know God marked out your appointed time in history? God chose 2017 for you now. God marked out the boundary of your land. He said North County for you. 2017 for you. That was God. That was by design. That was on purpose. Why? Brings me to the last part of the statement, to make an eternal difference. To make an eternal. We're not here just to do good. We're here, we are here to do good strategically. Like we don't want to make just a difference. We want to make an eternal difference. We want what we do to live on after our life, meaning not all good deeds are the same. Not all. I, I feed every starving kid in Africa. They die and go to hell. I lose. I lose. Not all good deeds are the same. We are here to make an eternal difference. Paul puts it like this. If any man builds on this foundation... So, in other words, the difference that you're making with your gold, your silver, your costly stones, wood, hay, straw, whatever, whatever energy resource you have, his work will be shown for what it is, meaning not all good deeds are the same. There are a lot of charitable things that aren't going to make an eternal difference. And you've got to make a decision. Do I want to invest my life in something that's not going to make an eternal difference? Because the day, talking about judgment, will bring it to light. Will bring it to light. So here's the point. Here's, let's, let's put the statement together. And I want you to read this out loud because this is a declaration all of us are making over our life today. Read this with me. I am a minister with a specific purpose at an opportune time to make an eternal difference. Now look, if you're, if you're sitting out here today and you're thinking to yourself, Honestly, Aaron, this is so far, of so far from reality to my life right now. Like, I'd love to say that was true about my life. I'd love to say this, this paints a picture of the way I'm living my life, but this is so far from where I'm at. Let me help you. We have actually designed our entire church to accomplish this. Everything we did, the vision of our church was strategically designed to lead you into this becoming a reality in your life. You need to know that I have an agenda. Like, I think it's important for you to know that about a pastor, that, that we all have agendas. You have agendas. I have agendas. Everybody has an agenda. They may say they don't have an agenda. They have an agenda. <laughs> and if you're thinking about me being your pastor, then it's, it's probably pretty wise for you to figure out what my agenda is, because... I'm going to try to bring you somewhere. Like, like I have an agenda. And, and let me put it like this. It's not to provide you a place to go on Sunday. I, I just can't do this, to be very honest with you. If this, was all there, I'm, if this is all there is, I'm out. When I look at the needs of the world that we live in, I look at the pain, I look at the suffering, I look at the tragedy, I'm not here 
to just teach a nice message on Sunday and make people feel good and give people the opportunity to check something off the box because they went to church once a week. I am here to strategically mobilize people to make an eternal difference in this world. God is saying, arise. God is saying, shine. God is saying, you are the light of the world. We have the answer. So how do we do it? Well, as a church, it's, it's simply our vision. We're here to help people know God. If you don't know God, we want you to know God. And if you know him, we want you to know him better. And then we want to help you find freedom because all of us have issues from our yesterdays. We all have yesterday in our life. And some of those yesterdays slow us down and hold us back. Some of them are big. Some of us are small. And then we want you to figure out your unique purpose. What, how, how do you discover the purpose God has given you? And that's why we do the growth track. The whole reason why we take you through those classes and actually step two, which is taking place right now, there are people down in the family center right now taking a spiritual gifts test to begin to discover their unique purpose and what makes them different. And then we want to empower you to make a difference. And look, I encourage you, just, just try it out. Just get your feet wet. Just, just join us for Christmas Eve, if nothing else. And say, you know what, I'm going to get my feet wet with this whole make a difference thing. And I'm going to see, because I'm telling you, you will discover that the greatest sense of fulfillment any human being will ever have is when they give their life to make a difference in someone else. Psychologists tell us this to be true. So give it a shot. Just join. Christmas Eve, we'll have a couple hundred extra people that, that, that show up every year like never before. We have a chance to make a difference in their life. And I know some of you are thinking to yourself, well, I thought that was your job. Like, aren't, aren't you the pastor? Like, like, you're the one that's supposed to do ministry. No, it's actually just the opposite when you study the Bible. Look at the way Paul teaches it. Paul says, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. One translation says, Here, here's, here's some of the gifts, meaning that this is not everyone. This is just, it's actually a very small minority of people that God gives to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, the question is, why did God give me as a gift to the church? You, you are the church, and supposedly God gives me as the pastor as a gift to the church. Why? Their responsibility, my responsibility, is to equip God's people, that's you, to do His work. So it's actually your job to do the ministry, not mine. Biblically speaking, it's my job to equip you. It's my job to empower you. It's my job to train you. God gave me as the gift to equip and empower you to live the life that God created you to live, to do the work of the ministry. So how do you find your ministry? How do you find that specific thing that God has created you to do? Well, again, the whole growth track is designed to walk you through that process and, and help you build relationship to figure that out. But let me give you a quick crash course in some some three kind of major, major areas that you can study about yourself to begin to discover your unique ministry, your specific purpose in life. The first thing you have to do is you got to look at your gifts and passions. All of us have gifts and passions that are different than everyone else. Something that makes you unique. What do you love to do? Like, what do you just love to do? Like, you'll, you'll do it every week. Make that your ministry. Whatever it is, make it your ministry. Take what you love and use it for God. Paul puts it like this. We have different gifts. Every one of us have different gifts. I've got different gifts than you, and you've got different gifts than the person sitting next to you. 
according to the grace that was given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it. Uh, if it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him lead. If it's showing mercy, let him do it. Cheerfully, we all have different gifts. We'd love to help you discover what your unique gifts are. All of us have six or seven and sometimes eight different spiritual gifts. We have an assessment in our growth track to help you identify what are your, what's your combination. Because you have this unique combination of gifts that's different than everyone else. We don't want you to just find a place to serve. We want you to serve in how you were wired. That's why we don't have any volunteers around here. Like, we're not recruiting volunteers as a church. Because I personally believe that the church should not look like me. The church should look like you. Like, I, I don't, th that's why we don't do any of my ideas. If we did my ideas, then I would have to spend time recruiting people to do what I think they should be doing. I, I don't want to do that. I would rather empower you to do what God puts you on earth to do. And if you'll do what God created you to do, our whole church will be better as a result, so we, we don't do ideas. We want a church that looks like a reflection of the people God brings us as opposed to a church that's a reflection of me. Because if it was a bunch of me's, it would be a very dysfunctional church. I'm just telling you right now. Like, we'd have issues. And so, so we just want to empower people to do what they're passionate about. And that's my role. We have, we have a group of people in our church very passionate about orphans in Mexico. And a couple years ago, they found a home and they, they wanted to buy a home for kids in Mexico to serve them and care for them. And they, they came and they said, we find a home. And I went to the board and so they found a home and the board said, well, let's buy a home. We bought a home. Can I be very honest? I still to this day have never even been to the home. Like I've never even seen it. Never even seen it. Why? I'm not in love with buildings. I'm in love with people. My role is just to empower people to do what God has put in their heart. It's not my job to, to, to do it all. It's my job to empower people who, who do what God has created them to do, my gifts and my talents. Second area you need to assess is my life experience. You have experiences that are different than everyone else, something that life has taught you that you need to teach other people. I think about a guy that attends our church, Brian Jennings, who was a professional surfer for years. Now, Brian uses his life experience to help others find Christ. He runs surf camps for at-risk teenagers and, and kids in the community, and he does it to bring them to Jesus, where they're baptizing kids at the end of the camp, and kids are giving their lives to Christ. Why? Because he's using his life experience as ministry. He's saying, what, what, what is unique about me? Well, God has given me this past. Let me use it in my future. What is it about your life experience? You love cars or, or arts and craft or carpentry or maybe there's some skill set or experience that you have that you can use to serve others. Here's the way Paul puts it. Here's what I want you to do with God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Can you imagine if all of, this, all of us took this literally? Like if every single, you think, well, my life is boring. My life doesn't, you know, it's just so routine and mundane. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's your life experience, and God wants to use your life experience. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. God, I'm going to give you my life, my everyday, ordinary life, and then embrace what God does for you. It's the best thing you can do for him. I'm telling you, God will use it. 
God will take your everyday, ordinary life, and he will use it to make a difference in the lives of people. And then finally, and this is the toughest one to look at, but it's the one I've seen God, to be very honest, use the most, and that is my pain. All of us have unique heartache. All of us have been through tragedies in our life, hurt in our life, pain in our life. And the pain that you have been through is different than the pain other people have been through. One of the things that I like to say about pain is don't waste good pain. I know the pain was meant to destroy you. God didn't cause the pain. Life caused the pain. God doesn't inflict pain on kids that he loves. But what God will do is he will redeem the pain. Sometimes the pain that we're in is because of our choices. Sometimes it's because of the horrible choices of other people. Sometimes it's just the devil. Like some, He hates you. Like he loves inflicting pain on you. Don't waste good pain. Every heartache, tragedy that has been thrown your way, you have the ability to take that pain, give it to God, let him redeem it, and use it for a purpose. And what I've seen is people who've been through some of the hardest pains become some of the greatest ministers. Here's the way Paul puts it. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Now look at this. He comforts us in all our troubles. He will comfort you in every pain, every tragedy, every heartache that you will ever face, that you will ever endure, that you have endured. He'll bring healing so that so that we can comfort others. So God wants to take your pain and he wants to flip it and allow you to use it for ministry. He didn't cause it, but he'll redeem it. It goes on to say when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. We can minister to them the same life-giving, the same healing, the same comfort that God was able to give us in the middle of that heartache, in the middle of that tragedy. So here's the point. There is a purpose in my pain. There is a purpose in it. God didn't cause it, but God will put purpose in it. So don't waste good pain. We have families in our church who've lost children. A parent should never have to lose a child. It's the most tragic thing. I, 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 can't, even, I can't even imagine personally going through that. but they're now able to minister to other families in the same situation. Families who don't even know Christ, who they're now able to give hope to. And actually bringing people to Christ as a result of the pain that they've personally been through. We all have heartache in our life. Take what the devil intended to destroy you. Flip it on him and use it to beat him. Don't waste good pain. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I just pray right now that this message will become a life declaration for us, that every single one of us would acknowledge and recognize that I am a minister. I am a minister. Not only that, but I've been given a specific purpose, a specific focused area that you've called me to serve in. And God, you've given me this opportune time. Like I get 2017, I get North County, 
Like, this is my opportune time. And all of that, God, is to make an eternal difference. We don't want to just make a difference. We want to make an eternal difference. We want what we do to impact heaven. To bring people to you. And so, God, let us look at our life. Let us look at the gifts and the talents that you've hardwired into us. Let us look at the life experiences that have been unique to us. Let us look at the pain and the heartache and the tragedy that every one of us have been through in life. And out of that, God, show us specific ways we can minister to others and make a difference with the life that you've given us. In the name of Jesus.